In the past, the Torah portion, we experienced the plagues in Egypt. We were redeemed from our bondage. We came together at Mount Sinai and there put aside our individual and tribal identities in a complex, swirling, cacophonous dance of pronouns and identity words and shofar blasts, shaking mountains. And in a great single moment of covenant, we became a unified Am. And we said as one, we will hear and we will do to the Decalogue. And then we heard the laws of Mishpatim, of actual cases, not just general principles, of respect and protections of the rights of individuals, of rights of animals, the rights of nature. And then we got to work assigning the parts, practicing the lines, building the sets, the costumes, the props, even making up the makeup, even in today's portion of some sort, for the opening day of the Mishkan. And now in Kitisa, we get a hidden backstory to all of this that is completely out of order, the golden calf. And it's a mixture of other histories of the Mount Sinai revelation. So why is it placed here? They actually wanted to come together in a form of what Moses told Pharaoh that we were going to go do for three days before we came back to serve him again, which is to have a festival, dance around in service of our God, and to communally eat and to sing praises. So they want to do that, but since God is absent, they, they, they build the golden calf and say, you're the one that rescued us from Egypt. And they have that kind of raucous party. I think it's here, it's trying to tell us something about what idolatry is. And there's a reason for what comes up in Kitisa around this piece that tells us something about how we are supposed to serve even though we've already, like, what, what all of this building of the sets we were doing, all of this Levite preparation, all the stuff that's come since Mount Sinai, that knowing what those things are helps us understand what it was to serve God instead of serving idols. Idolatry, it's not making an idol and bowing down to it. It's not failing to believe in the existence of God. You can commit idolatry even as a total atheist. So as being an atheist, you don't get out of any of it, right? Because it's not like, well, don't worry, I don't serve idols, I also don't serve God, but you know, so like I did, I, I'm good for the commandment that starts off the 10 commandments. Idolatry is when we put our time and our resources, our financial resources and our spiritual resources into the wrong areas. The opposite of idolatry is serving God. It's not believing in God. It's not not making idols. It's service. We were redeemed from Egypt not to be free to party, but to be free so that we had our free money, our free time, and our free spirits to put into service of God, to serve God. The Parsha says that when you don't use your redemption, your freedom, which is symbolically acknowledged in the giving of the half shekel at the census, that you owe back, that you are part of a larger community, when you don't use your redemption to serve God, this eventually leads to plague. 
The giving of the half shekel equal for everyone symbolically shows that you owe God. It's your kofar, an atonement for otherwise failing to count yourself among the we. So, then how do we serve? We didn't quite know that in Mount Sinai, but here in Kitisa, we now have the examples around us of how to serve, and they're the Levites. They are the symbolic examples of how to serve the community. Who are the Levites today? As I hole up in my home with my family and work from home, I must remember that there are those who are not holding up at home because they are going out to serve the community on our behalf. Obviously, I mean, healthcare workers in particular for all the others who need to make what is outside the doors of our properties possible to heal those who are sick and to give them comfort and to raise them up, putting themselves at risk, as we know also well from the news. Serving God is to adopt a we consciousness, the we that we said at Mount Sinai, the one that came after the golden calf story, but now we get so that we have the perspective of what it means. We will hear and we will serve. We will hear and we will do. What's the opposite of serving? I mean, how, how are we committing idolatry today? Well, in the golden calf story, Aaron grinds up, of course, the calf and makes the people drink it in the water. I wonder how conveniently and easily I spend money that I don't need to be spending. How easily I find it to, I mean, we all know the articles that say, don't go out and buy a cup of coffee when you can make one at home. And here I'm the guy who roasts my own coffee, but I probably go out once a day to get someone else to make me the coffee and spend money that probably should go into a college fund, and probably should go to the community, probably should go to Beth Israel, probably should go to JFS and Federation and to go to all the communities around us that are part of serving God, and part of the people who are lifting up others. It's so easy for me to put a little bit of my gold out there, and now, in this self-isolation, I can't do that. And maybe that's part of the plague lesson. I'm not saying the plague is here to punish us. If you've been listening to my sermons over the weeks, or my podcasts, you know where I've been at which is the whole point of Mount Sinai was to say, the whole point of the plagues was to say that what God is is the interconnection of us all that crosses tribal lines and geographical lines. And the interconnection of us all was shown in the plague, my podcast on the, on the locusts, that already Africa and the Mideast is in the largest locust plague in 100 years in a century, precisely because people were occupied with their own countries and their own local politics, their own corruptions, and their own internal fights, and their own internal spending of money on the wrong things. So the locusts, as they cross the lines that we draw, these invisible lines that they don't see, we're not able to stop the plague. So the plague shows that we're all interconnected, and when we don't acknowledge that, plagues come. So I don't see the plague as a punishment. I see it as a natural consequence for when we ignore our interconnectedness and when we don't serve the God of that interconnectedness. So now we have an opportunity to be forced to observe it. I can't go out 
and spend money on things that I probably didn't always need to be spending money on anyway. And now, hopefully, that's a sign of a form of idolatry, putting money out there and not valuing it sufficiently for how it can serve. I think of all the sports that have been canceled lately, and now we can't watch those games on TV anymore, and we can't go to them. And I know that there's nothing wrong with the enjoyment of recreation, the enjoyment of sports, but I also know that it's idolatry when it is out of proportion, when we put too many of our resources, our spiritual and time resources to the sports. And so that, in a way, I'm looking forward to that being deprived from me. I feel like in some ways God is giving back our time and our closeness, our time and our spiritual energy that we constantly give away. And in the weeks and days coming up, we, like, it's coming back to us as a gift. And so instead of me watching the game, while I could be valuing my time in a different way, valuing the preciousness of our moments in a different way, putting that part back into proportion in my life. Years ago, we were watching TV back, and a commercial came on, and she told me I had to look at this commercial. And it was a commercial, a big multinational corporation, and it was one of these touching commercials playing on your heartstring, where it said, we are a proud country, and we care for one another, and there was like a father and a little daughter holding hands. And we care about patriotism, and you saw a flag and someone saluting the flag. And we care about religion. And they showed a baseball stadium. There is some idolatry in the amount of time we give. And I don't want my children, when it is time for my eulogy, to say what most connected us to our father was the time we, want, we spent watching the flyers. I want them to say, I had a great time watching the flyers, but it's those days where we camped together or broke bread in the sukkah, the days we celebrated Shabbat together, where we stayed at home and we played go fish. And then we worked our way up to Monopoly and we read together, we read to each other. This time is putting us in a place where we can have that time back. It's given back to us and we should receive it as a gift. And the Parsha is telling us, how do we use that time? The Parsha reminds us of the commandment of Shabbat. And now in the distance between Mount Sinai and this reminder of how to serve, I think of some of the other things that we can do with our time. So the skilled activities that we've been put to in building the Mishkan, sewing, making tables, artisanship, embroidery, making your own jewelry, making your own artwork, I think of the invitation of that for how to use this time in our homes. With my kids' home, I'm not looking at it as a time to make sure they get their homework done for going back to school. This is an opportunity to rethink this time. Our obligation to our children is to teach them to be independent, to give them the skills of being independent. So we're starting off, we're teaching them how to cook so that they can cook our meals. And I think of the one thing that the Torah is saying uh, in the last couple of parashiyot about how we're putting together the Mishkan 
is that we don't just make it up as we go along. It's not unfettered creativity. We follow plans. So I myself am getting out cookbooks and learning how to cook from recipes. And it sounds crazy, but I got that from the Parsha. Let's get out some plans and let me teach my children and teach myself how to do things that I couldn't do before, things that actually make me independent of the way we give away our time and our energy and resources to all the things around us, how we can do things for ourselves. I'm going to learn new things on the guitar and I'm gonna help my, I'm gonna finally get around to helping my kids expand on that. But we can do this for ourselves. Time to teach yourself a new skill because the Levites there, they're practicing their new, their, their new tunes. They're getting their instruments ready for opening day of the Mishkan. We're in the middle of that. Opening day hasn't happened yet, but they're preparing. They're teaching them the skills. What skills can we teach ourselves? We're gonna get outside and garden. We're gonna, and I'm gonna do that with the kids. Not like, oh, here, quickly plant a tree, it's too bishvat. But how do things grow? In times of crisis in this country, like after World War II, the victory gardens in this country produced one-third of the food. That's independence. That's learning how something works and doing it for yourself. We're gonna do that at home. And I'm a terrible gardener, but I can at least can weed. Um, they taught me how to do that on kibbutz, much to my chagrin. What can we do in this time? Could you learn to chant a prayer that you don't know? Could you spend time at home with the prayer book, with the book of Tehillim, the book of Psalms? Could you use YouTube videos or Zoom conferencing with Ron or others to teach yourself to, to chant Musaf or to read Torah? Could we now experience inner renewal, putting our time resources into prayer, meditation, exercise? I mean, I don't get around to exercise normally. I don't care for the body that God gives me. By staying at home and not running around to meetings, this gives me a chance to no more excuses. I go back to my Pilates. Maybe I learned skills I didn't learn before in other forms of home exercise. And I definitely want to take strolls on the street, spend more time outside, um, walking, not driving. Can I listen to podcasts? And can I enrich my learning in that way? And can I make sure I get on the Zoom learning that Rabbi Daverson and I and others will be doing in the coming days and weeks? Can I learn some Talmud? Can I study prayers with Rav Nadav? Can we do it together? When I was listening to NPR and they were interviewing children in Italy and Japan and China, kids between the ages of five and eight who had been missing school, they asked them if they missed school. This one sweet um, Italian boy said, no, I don't miss school because I get to be at home with my dog and I walk my dog, and I pet my dog, and I'm playing with my dog all of the time. And then you heard this like childish uh, babble. And the reporter said, who is that? And the little boy said, that is my younger sister. She's three or four. And the reporter said, what did she babble about? And he said, she said, I love that my older brother is home with me. This is a chance to be in human relationship again. David Brooks said something on PBS that touched me. He said he was looking back at the American literature about the flu epidemic of 1918. 
he thought that he would see the good that came out of it that would get recorded, the wisdom, recorded wisdom for us to learn from in this time. And although there were biographical accounts of what happened, many, there were not a lot of lessons learned, human lessons. And he wondered why, and he realized it was because when people shut in, they were ashamed. And they didn't want to record the fact that we were in isolation and we weren't out there caring for others. And so one of the reasons we're holding this minion is because we get to connect now electronically that they didn't have in 1918, the 1920s. And we have the ability to be together like this. And so I think we should. And, and, and we have the ability to, to, to do in a way what the Levites were doing between each of their washings of their laver purel. They were letting people know that they cared about them. And we can do that with phone calls. I'm gonna call my family members more than I've ever called them. I'm we can reach out to people who live alone and let them know we love them and that we care and that they are not alone. We can use this time to make more calls and more interconnections by Zoom or just picking up the phone or emails or texts to let people know that they're not alone and lift them up and uplift them like the Levites did. We can become that um. We can become that we, the we that crosses national, family, and party lines and goes to the fact that we are all interconnected and in this together. We have a chance to rearrange our priorities, not to idolatry, but to the ways of the Torah. Shabbat shalom.